Good morning. So I have to admit that I was hoping Frank was leading the meditation this morning because Frank always says something like, I don't know how you put it, you know, sitting a certain way, take a deep breath, hold it until you can't hold it anymore. And I wanted to start with the breath thing <clears throat> as a thought experiment because we're going to be talking about archetypal psych, uh, astrology. And, I, and as soon as I walked in, I think Gary made some comment, like, this is not the way he put it, but it was sort of like, astrology? <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about astrology for? <laughs> and that was the same response I got from the publisher of Spirituality and Health magazine when I suggested I write an article on astrology in an email. He wrote back, if emails could speak, astrology? What are you talking about astrology for? <laughs> we don't believe in astrology. And I said, well, just trust me that I think I have a different take that might be of interest. So I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. If you're a little skeptical, trust me that this take may be a little different. If you're not skeptical, uh, then trust me that this take may add to your understanding of astrology. And if you think the whole thing is bogus, Kitty told me that everything is uh, mer Mercury, or no, everything is in retrograde. So no matter what happens, everything sucks anyway. So don't worry about it. But I want to start out with that, I, the, the, the way like Frank usually does the meditation where you breathe in and then you hold it. So we're not going to ask you to do that, but just follow this thought experiment. So when you do breathe in, what's doing the breathing in? I mean, what's gathering the, 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 the air? Your lungs. Yeah, but it's your lungs, right? Right? And you're pulling in the atmosphere, right? Pulling in the air. What are you pulling in? Oxygen. Without your lungs, you'd be dead, right? right? If someone came and took your lungs out, you'd be dead. So you know that the lungs are an integral part of your body. But so is the air that your lungs are pulling in. But you don't make that air. You make a lot of gas. <laughs> but you don't make the oxygen, right? Where do you get the oxygen from? Plants, Plants trees, green things, right? Through. Um, uh, photosynthesis. photosynthesis, thank you. <laughs> See, I used to know that, but everything's in retrograde. <laughs> but through photosynthesis. So, so all the green things that are actually producing oxygen that you desperately need to live, you could not live without them. So if your lungs are essential to your body, and the oxygen is essential to your lungs to function so you can, you can exist, and the green things, the plants and the trees are essential for that, then why don't we say that plants and the green things are also part of your body? Because they really are. If they disappeared, you'd also be dead. So they're part of your body. But they don't exist by themselves. They need, you know, they need carbon dioxide, but they need the air around them, they need the earth beneath them they have their own little ecosystem that they need to survive. And if they didn't have that, they wouldn't be there. And if they wouldn't be there, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, Grandma Lena <laughs> pulling the turnip. You have all these things that are dependent on one another. And so 
if they need their ecosystem to survive and you need the green things to survive, then why isn't the ecosystem of the plants and the trees part of your body? And I would argue that it is. So just to keep it simple, because this could go on you know, for quite a while. So the earth itself is really part of our bodies. Because if it wasn't there, we'd be dead. Right? You with me so far? OK. But the earth doesn't function in isolation. The earth needs to be exactly where it is in order to function optimally. So the earth, if it was a little bit closer to the sun, would be toast more than it already is, right? <laughs> it, and so it wouldn't function. If the, if the earth were further away from the sun, we'd be frozen. So it has to be exactly where it is in relationship to the sun. What keeps it there? Gravity. Gravity. What keeps, what, what causes the gravity? It's not just like gravity doesn't exist as an abstract. Yes, exactly. So all the planets, just to stick with the solar system, all the planets have to be exactly where they are to keep the earth exactly where it is in relationship to the sun so that we can survive. So all the other planets, and Kitty came in this morning telling us about dwarf planets and all these other things, they have to be exactly where they are in order for the Earth to be exactly the way it is so that all the things that the Earth has going for it that we actually need to survive can be where they are doing what they do so that we can survive and they're all part of our body so the solar system is part of your body. But the solar system is where it is because, and you get where it's going. The entire cosmos is your body, which is very new age, except it's not. I mean, on the one hand, I think it's science. On the other hand, it's ancient wisdom. When, oh, I don't know if you want to call them magicians or mystics, but you know, if you go back to, uh, into Western occultism or Eastern mysticism, if you want to use that term, and they have the phrase, in one language or another, as above, so below, you know, uh, or where Jesus says, uh, your will be done in heaven as it is on earth, which is the same concept, as above, so below. However you, you articulate it, what you're saying is, what happens on the macro scale happens on our smaller scale, and ultimately on our micro scale, because it's all an integrated system, process. You with me so far? Okay, with that as our premise, let's take a look at astrology. But not astrology the way I used to think of astrology. I don't know if you did this, but I used to look at the astrological stuff in the newspaper. I don't know if the Daily News Journal has. Do they have astrology in the Daily News Journal? I, I, don't, I don't even know. We get the Daily News Journal. My wife gets the Daily News Journal, so she can tell me stuff about what's happening in Murfreesboro. Uh, but I don't want to know. I'm depressed enough, so I don't, I don't want to know what's going on in, locally. But, you know, when I lived in, in other places, I would read the astrological thing in the newspaper. And I don't know if it, this ever happened to you, or you're reading, going, oh my God, that is so accurate. That is so me. I'm a Taurus. And you'd be reading, going, that is just like, how do they know? And then you realize, oh wait, that was, you know, that was uh, uh, Pisces. I read the wrong one. <laughs> and you go, wait a second. And, if you, and then you could read any of them, and, and they're always me. Because I'm reading myself into all of them. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what is called 
archetypal uh, astrology. Now, I'd never heard of this before. Anyone familiar with Audie Cornish? Uh, NPR uh, on, uh, uh, journalist Audie Cornish. So she has uh, her own podcast. I'm a podcast fanatic. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And she's a very good interviewer. So I listen to a lot of her interviews. And she's interviewing this woman named Jennifer Freed, who I never heard of before. But it's on Jennifer Freed's, uh, one of her two books. This one is called Use Your Planets Wisely. I'm already bored just, just listening to the title. I've done, oh, please. Really, Audie? And then she's going to tell me that, you know, Jennifer Freed, I even wrote it down in my article because I talked to Jennifer Freed and she asked me to give her some, you know, she needs credentials. So besides the fact that she wrote a book, but she's, uh, she's you know, astrologer to the, to the stars, Gwyneth Paltrow. Does that mean anything to anybody? <laughs> oh, it does. Okay, so, so Gwyneth Paltrow. But it's like saying, you know, uh, Nancy Reagan was in a, I mean, who cares? Okay, but uh, Myla Kunis, uh, Van Jones, I mean, okay, so he's a CNN political commentator, so he reads, he uses her, but it means nothing to me. Because anyone can be fooled by anything, so just because big name people get fooled doesn't, doesn't say anything to me. Until I got fooled, maybe. <laughs> and you may think I'm fooled, I don't know. So anyway, I'm listening to the podcast, and I'm really intrigued. So intrigued enough to uh, contact her, through her agent, and to have a conversation with her, and to read her books, and, to, and I asked, because this is the way it works when you do book reviews and things, you always try to get a free copy. They always say yes. She said no. She said no, which really pissed me off. But she said no. She said, look, you're a writer. You want to support other writers. Buy the book. You know? So I said, you know, she's right. So I bought the book. And then I spent more money to get, the, uh, to get my chart done, you know, according to her system. And I got, I don't know, it was 25 pages or 40 pages of, of detailed analysis about my personality based on the archetypal system. And, but that was only the beginning, because then she talks about this guy. And I brought everything to show you in case you wanted to follow up. So she, she uh, her teacher is a guy named Richard Tarnas. Do you know who, who he is? Ryan, no. So, so Richard Tarnas is this, uh, he wrote a number of books, but the one that's apropos to this is called Cosmos and Psyche. So Tarnas is one of the, these um, scholars of, of many different things. And in this book, he goes through uh, uh, physics, astrophysics, and Jung, Jungian psychology to take this psychological look at astrology. And what he argues, and she picks it up from him, and takes it in her own direction. This is not uh, to take anything away from Jennifer Freed, Dr. Freed. But he, the way I understood it is she, she learned from him and then went her own direction. But he learned then from, from Jung, and there's a collection of Jungian articles, Jung's articles on astrology called uh, Jung on Astrology, very clever title. Um, <laughs> But what he did was he went through and he said, look, there's something going on with astrology that has nothing to do with what local newspapers say 
in their astrology columns, that there's something else happening. And he makes this case that, you know, I started to make when I said the cosmos is your body. When you look at your astrological chart at your birth, what you're looking at is um, sort of a snapshot of your cosmic body and the archetypal forces that you're born with. Now they change over time because they're in different relations, different things, and it's way over my head. I'm not claiming to be an astrologer, and you can talk about this during talkback. Those who are more, into, you know, you know, steeped in this than I am. But the idea is that you're looking at um, sort of a psycho-spiritual map of these archetypal forces. Anyone interested in the I Ching? Because so I, I come from the Chinese side of things rather than the Western occult side of things. And so when it's the Western occult, I go, mm, I don't know. But when it's the Eastern side of things, I'm like, oh, of course it must be true. <laughs> right? Just because it's Eastern. So, um, but on the Eastern side of things, you read the I Ching, and the I Ching says, the Book of Changes, the I Ching says there's, there's 64 forces in the universe that are at work, and then you can use the, 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 uh, the I Ching and the way you throw the sticks or the coins or whatever you're going to use, and you can figure out what the forces are, what forces are at play in your life at any given moment, and then you can use that information to navigate what's happening in your life. It doesn't tell you, the I Ching, doesn't tell you what's going to happen. It's not a fortune cookie, right? It's not like you will meet a tall, dark stranger, right? It's not like that. It's just that X is, you know, um, something is, is rising and something else is falling and you've got to work with, don't, don't work with what's falling, work with what's rising, you know, whatever, whatever it's telling you. The astrology, as, as Tarnas and Friedman are, are articulating it, is telling you the same kinds of things. That here are the forces that are working your life. They'll be, they'll be in different relationships uh, at different moments, but these are the archetypal forces. And you, if you know what they are, you can work with them and you won't be so surprised when certain things are happening. But it doesn't dictate your future. It's not about your destiny. It's more about your psychology. Now, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. I don't even know if it makes sense to me or not. But it was, it was, it's still, I found it very insightful, very interesting, and another way to look at yourself, even if, and I don't know if I want to flatten it out like this, but worst case scenario, even if it's just a Rorschach test, where you're looking at um, your astrological chart and reading into it as opposed to reading something out of it. I'm, I'm not saying that's what it is, but even if that's what it is, there's value in that. Same thing with tarot cards. Um, you can look at, there's a Jungian way of reading tarot cards where you find your, I think it's called your birth card, and you look at the symbols in that card and are they telling you something from the card to you or are you reading something into the card and then it's reflected back to you? The idea is it doesn't matter because it's all happening in your own psyche anyway and it's just another way to examine 
your own, your own uh, sense of self, it's your self-understanding, if, if, if that isn't redundant. So, so I'm going through all this stuff, talking to her, and I'm finding it quite interesting. Not insightful in the sense of she's telling me something about myself, because that's not what she does. Um, so she's not saying, I look into the wall and I now see that, you know, it's not, it's not that kind of thing. She's just explaining the methodology. So let me just throw some, some comments she makes <clears throat> out to you, just so you have them in, in your head. So she says, uh, actually this is a quote from her book, uh, Use Your Planets Wisely. She says, astrology lends vivid description to what makes you, you. It helps you see how you are a part of everything and how everything is part of you. That was the little thought experiment. And gives you access to those voices and influences inside of you that create either havoc and mayhem or success and contentment. So, is anyone familiar with psychosynthesis? See, those of you who are young have an excuse. Anyone who's as old as me, you're not well educated. <laughs> Psychosynthesis um, is Robert Asagioli. So Robert Asagioli, do you know who he is? No? So, because you're a science person, not a humanities person. Roger Asagioli um, is a psychologist who has this theory of archetypes, and his method of working with them is very much like what she says. Helps you see that you're a part of everything, everything's a part of you, and it gives access to those voices and influences inside of you that create either havoc and mayhem or success and contentment. Asagioli, in his system called Psychosynthesis, you can read all about it at MTSU Library, they have all his books, and he says your, your psyche, your personality, whatever you want to call it, it, think of it like um, a corporation and you have a board of directors. And on your board of directors, you can, you can either say, in the case of astrology, you have all the planets, or in the, in the case of Asagioli, you have these different archetypes, the leader, the uh, controller, the you know, risk taker, all these different things. And they're all parts of you and they all have a different mission. So, the risk taker is always trying to get you to try something new, and then the opposite of the risk taker is the, I don't know what, you, what he might call it, but it's like the watch out, don't do something stupid voice to make sure the risk taker doesn't go too far, and given the way you were brought up, you might be more risk taker and you shut the other voice down, or you may shut the risk taker voice down and listen only to the one that, that says, be afraid, be afraid, be very afraid. And so Asagioli's approach is you have to identify all the voices, and he has you map them out, but astrology gives you the map. He has you map them out, label them, and then in, in he'll teach you how to do this, but in sessions, you say, okay, so what is the risk taker asking? And then you write it down. And he teaches you that the risk taker, that all the voices are trying to tell you, the mission of all of them is to help you be your best self but they're in conflict. And so you have to listen to all of them, but you can establish yourself as the CEO of You Inc. and then decide how you're gonna play with all of them. 
So she's saying something very similar, that you can look at the map of, or listen to the symphony of voices by looking at the, your astrological chart and then decide, okay, I'm, I'm hearing what they're saying and I'm gonna choose to go in this direction or work with these energies in such and such a way. You have free will, but you're not working with a blank slate. You're not, you're not born tabula rasa, blank slate. You're born with these psychic energies already in play, whether you're talking about I Ching or you're talking about astrology. But you have the capacity, once you know what they are, to work with them. So as I was reading all this material and working on this article for the magazine, which if you get the magazine, you can read in whenever they publish the article. And if you don't get the magazine, you should get the magazine, because that's how I still make a living, the meager living I get. Uh, I thought of this quote from, let's see, 20, where are we, 20? Yeah, little, almost 2,000 years ago. This rabbi named Rabbi Akiva who was a very sane rabbi until he hooked himself up with this totally insane messianic character who thought, this is after Jesus, who thought he could defeat Rome militarily and he got crushed. And Akiva was um, martyred by the Romans in a very horrific way. But before martyrdom, Akiva was this great teacher and Akiva had this famous saying and his saying was, I better read it to you because otherwise I'm gonna screw it up. Akiva had this saying and it was, he's talking about God, and he says, of God, everything is foreseen from God's perspective. God, everything is foreseen, yet free will is given. Because the debate they were having 2,000 years ago is if God is all-knowing, then we have no free will, we're just automatons, we just do what was, we're pre-programmed. And Akiva didn't like that idea. He wanted to say you have free will, but he didn't like the idea that God doesn't know what's going on in advance, because God is beyond time and space. So God has to know what's going to happen, but God doesn't make it happen. <clears throat> Those who are into the Matrix, remember the Matrix movies? It's in the first one where Neo meets the Oracle, and she says something like, you can help me out with this, you know, don't worry about the vase, and then what vase, and then he knocks it over, and then she says, would you have knocked it over if I didn't tell you not to worry about it? You're like, it's one of those, <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. Do you have free will or you don't have free will? So Akiva's answer was that you absolutely have free will, but God knows in advance what choices you're gonna make, but God doesn't make you make them. It's like, uh, we were talking about this before services started. My wife and I watch, or not me. Well, I should, I, okay. okay. My wife watches and I simply sit next to her. But my wife watches a lot of 70s TV shows, mysteries, murder mysteries. Uh, but before she does that, she always turns on, she sets it up to, to record them. And when she does that, when Perry Mason is on, so I try to make it sound I'm more sophisticated than that, so I, I say, I, I don't watch Perry Mason, I watch Perry Mason. So it's like a French mystery or something, but it's Perry Mason. So, and I, I like Perry Mason, and you know what's gonna happen, because out of all the years of Perry Mason, Perry Mason only lost one case. And, and it's always the same. You know, it's in the 50 some odd minutes or 40 some odd minutes of Perry Mason, you know he's gonna break the 
murder down on the stand and Lieutenant Trag and the prosecutor Berger are always going to go, what? How could that be when I thought it was this person and Mason figures out it's that person? It's all completely, you know exactly what's going to happen before it happens. And if you've seen them all enough times, you know who the bad, the, 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 the killer is before it happens. So you know in advance what's gonna happen, but you didn't make it happen. You're just, you have foreknowledge, but not for, you know, not, not control. God's the same way. Because God has, is beyond time and, time and space. Oh, yes, <laughs> no, Carrie <laughs> <Harry> Masson. <laughs> But because God has foreknowledge, God knows exactly what's going to happen throughout time and space, but doesn't control any of it. Now, I don't believe any of this personally, but this is, just, this is Akiva's theory, that God knows everything in advance, but doesn't make anything happen. So you could do X or Y, but because God knows the future, God knows you're going to do X and not Y. But God doesn't make you do X, right? You, you find, there's a difference. If God made you do X, then, then Y is not even an option. But Y is an option, it's because God knows you're not gonna choose it. So I know, for example, when I take my, my seven-year-old grandson to see Teenage Ninja Turtles, which we did last week, I know he's gonna get the blue slushy drink, which we now know if you've watched Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis worries has too much sugar in it. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that interaction between Ron DeSantis and the seven-year-old kid drinking the blue slushy drink. Anyway, my grandson loves the blue slushy drink, but he won't drink the red slushy drink. And when they ran out of blue slushy, I can guarantee you he won't drink the red one. He'll get diet, no, he'll get Sprite. And that's what happens every time. I just know that. I don't make him do it, but I know him, and that's the choice he's going to make. That's like God. God doesn't make you get the blue slushy drink. God just knows you like that one and not the red one. And if that one's not available, you're going to get Sprite. God doesn't make you do it. God just knows you're going to do it. So that's Akiva's theology. Astrology, according to, to the, the Jungian approach here, is that you, you're, not, you're free to make choices but your choices are limited by these forces that have been present in your life from the very beginning. You can't choose outside the frame in which you operate. And if you don't know the frame in which you operate, your choices become even more limited because you're not navigating them. They're just battling it out without your conscious control whatsoever. So you want to be able to assert what limited consciousness, uh, what, limit con what limited conscious control you have by becoming as conscious as you can of the forces that are at play. Does that make sense? Is that is logical? I mean, you can believe this or not believe this because it's all in retrograde. But that's the advantage of looking at astrology from this Jungian perspective. If someone like me who's into the I Ching, it opened up a whole new way of looking at astrology and a whole new way of looking at tarot cards, which I went and bought, not her books, but I bought uh, the Jungian tarot stuff for the same reason. Another way to begin to look at um, 
aspects of my personality that I might be ignorant of uh, without those tools reflecting them back or giving me a, a way of looking at, uh, you know, either projecting or having them reflected back to me. So let me end with this. So the question that's on the topic is, or, you know, on the sermon is, is astrology true? So that is the wrong question. I mean, I gave Jill the question. I knew it was the wrong question. That's the wrong question. Don't ask, is astrology true? Because then the answer is yes or no. And that's the wrong, it's the wrong question, and those answers are binary, and they're not good. The, the real question is, what is the truth of astrology? And according to the Jungians, the truth of astrology is that it gives you a map of your own inner um, psyche. And that it reveals aspects, depending on how clever you are when you look at them, it reveals aspects of actual psychic forces at work in your life. And the truth of astronomy, astrology, is uh, expressed in your capacity to read the map, act on the map, and navigate toward your own, uh, she says success, I, I, don't, I don't know about success, I don't even know what that is exactly. But I would say to navigate toward a more meaning-filled life by understanding the inner dynamic of uh, how you function. So I'm gonna stop there, and we can take this as far as you wanna take it uh, during talk back. And thank you for letting me uh, share that with you.